Couldn't think of a better time to go see your local steel dealer, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, more than 10,000 around the country. Go to steelusa.com, and you can check out so many of their products, and they have great products. I'm a battery guy, and they last forever. They're super powerful, whether it's blowers, whether it's mowers, whether it's trimmers, whether it's hand saws or big chainsaws. You can get them battery powered and they're going to get the job done for you. They have all kinds of deals going on right now as we're in the middle of autumn. You just got to go check it out and you're going to be glad you did. It's going to make your property that much prettier and it's going to make your life that much easier. What could be better? Steel, S-T-I-H-L. They are the best. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, a devastating loss for the CU Bumps and the interesting reaction of Coach Prime. This ain't the only thing that's going on in life. I mean, all you guys are dealing with something. You're still moving. You're still progressing. You're still going forward. We got to do the same darn thing. We didn't expect that. Zach Goodman joins the show to talk MLB playoffs and the Colorado Avalanche. It's fun to watch a team be that good and you know that they have a shot. You know that they're going to be around at the end of the year making a push for the Stanley Cup. Plus, we're looking ahead to Nuggets Lakers. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell your line mates. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. Show number 224, 224 on our little podcast. We thank you, as always, for joining us. Uh, my son, my middle son, will be along in a little bit. Zach Goodman, we'll talk baseball. We'll talk uh, hockey. That's right. The NHL season has started. The Avs are underway. Uh, but I have to take you back to last weekend. So Friday, I was out and about. Actually, you know where I was? I, I did uh, for Altitude Radio, they asked me to do a high school football game. I said, like, I got nothing going on. So I did Valor taking on Rock Canyon on the radio. And it was fun. Good to be at a high school uh, football game. Love high school football. And uh, so I, I got home. And fortunately, the bus started late. So I knew I was going to catch the better part of the game, or at least the second half. So I sit down, and the first half's ending, and the bus are up 29 nothing. I'm like, great. This is as it should be. They're beating a team in Stanford that they ought to beat, especially um, on their home field. And they're doing it decisively. Or, as uh, Coach Prime likes to say, dominant. We're going to be dominant. And they were dominant in the first half. And then, as we all know, the second half happened. I'm pausing here because there's no way that should have happened. And you, and you give Stanford credit. They were better offensively. They put some drives together. What happened to Colorado's offense? You kidding me? All you had to do was score, you know, one more touchdown and seemingly you scored with ease in the first half. That was a horrible, horrendous, horrific loss. I ran out of adjectives. That was that was the gut punch loss. Instead of being five and two, you go to four and three. And you know how daunting the rest of the schedule is. And I go back to something I said last week. You take care of business against Stanford, you're five and two, and then you're gonna find at least one more win the rest of the way. And if you finish six and six, you're going to a bowl game. It's not a New Year's Day bowl game, but you're going to some kind of bowl game. And you will look back, all the most ardent Buff fans, all of 
the most ardent critics of Deion Sanders, and you'd say, what an overwhelming success. That would be the epilogue. That would be what was written postscript on the 2023 season. It is still possible, certainly. Now you got to win two more. And in all likelihood, they will be upsets of, of some level, maybe not Arizona. But when you talk about, you know, Washington State, Oregon State, UCLA, Utah, those are all pretty good teams. They've all been or are currently in the top 25 in the nation. That was a huge loss. You can't overstate it. It was tremendously disappointing and it was humbling for the head coach as well. And I put this out on social media. I give Deion Sanders a lot of credit for how he handled himself and he handled the multitude of questions 10 minutes after that game ended. Hats off to our opposition today. I'm truly upset. I'm truly uh, disturbed. I'm going to try my best to stay composed and do the best of my ability to handle this press conference because you deserve my best and I'm going to try my best to give it to you. And you know, he was not afraid to even criticize his son. First of all, he should have never thrown the ball. He should have never thrown the ball. I don't know if they played on a replay to show what happened with receivers on that play. He shouldn't have never thrown the ball though. Just give us another down, let's kick field goal. And we've heard him as any dad now slash coach should heap high praise on his son. But he was critical of the second overtime you know, off balance, just heave into the end zone that was picked off. And I'm sure he was feeling the disappointment of not getting it in the end zone for a touchdown when you were set up at the two-yard line, first in goal at that point. Um, and then that that heave on third down that just really threw it up for grabs, which, you know, that's not something we've seen from him. He's played at such a high level this year. And that cost him three points in all likelihood. And then if you go on defense with three point with a three point lead, you know, if your defense holds Stanford to three, obviously, you're still in the game. But now Stanford had the football and they knew we're just gonna play for 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 a field goal and we're gonna walk off winners here. That was bad. I mean, all I keep coming back to the same thing. It still it still guts me thinking about it, and I'm sure it guts all of you thinking about it. And Here's something else that came out of that post-game press conference by Deion Sanders, who, you know, as great as, you know, he's been as, a, as an athlete and everything, he'll remind you that he's touched, he's been successful, and he's a winner, and he's going to make the Buffs a winner, and I believe it. Um, but but he's been humbled a little bit over the last few weeks after the, the flying start. Colorado State, they were most fortunate to come away with uh, – an overtime victory there. I think we'd all agree with that. Got humbled when they went to Eugene against Oregon. And they they fought and, and ended up playing a really good game against USC, but that was a loss. Had to beat Stanford, and they did not. And late in that press conference with the media in the aftermath of the loss to Stanford, he said something that I found very interesting. 
what I just said in the locker room to the team is they got to make up in their mind, are they in love with this game or are they in like with it? Because when you love something, you give to it unconditionally. We got to figure out, do they love it or do they like it? I think for some people listening to that, they say, what do you mean, man? How do I... There's a difference between loving it and liking it. Yeah, I understand that in layman terms, but you know, major college athletes, major college football players, you mean not all of them love it? And I've talked about this in the past. And in fact, I, I recently was talking to Buddy Black about this. When you talk about, we'll, we'll confine it to the four major sports right now. Guys who play in the NFL, guys who play in Major League Baseball, NHL, NBA, they're the best in the world, bar none, at what they do. It's the best league in the world. They're the best players in the world. But even within that finite, exclusive group, there is a different level of competitor. There's a different level of competitor even among the stars of those leagues. Michael Jordan's the most obvious example. Yes, extremely gifted. But his desire and yearning to win was higher than everyone else's. And so what Coach Prime is talking about here is, yeah, they're all Division I football players in his locker room. But you ultimately win at a super high level and with the greatest degree of regularity with guys that not only are talented— that is a prerequisite, but have that burning desire to individually be as good as they can be and help collectively produce a team that is as good as it can be and will not be denied and will overcome adversity, something they did not do clearly last Friday night at home against Stanford. So I thought... Again, Dion handled that press conference exceptionally well, and I thought his words were very interesting in the aftermath. And you know there's a whole lot of people out there that were thrilled that Colorado lost, that, that could care less typically about, about Colorado. And it's no longer about fuel. It's no longer about somebody making it personal. They just have to go out and from a coaching standpoint, coach them up to be the best possible team each week and to play for 60 minutes, something they clearly did not do last Friday. It's no longer about sound bites. It's no longer about this coach on the other side said that or this fan base said that. Now you're into the, the middle of the football season. And, you know, the college game day ain't coming anymore. Um the celebrities that have, you know, been spotted on the sideline left and right through the opening weeks. I don't know if that will be as prevalent. And now it's about coaching football. It's about producing winning football. And in the coming weeks, about upsetting a team or two to get yourself bowl eligible if you're the University of Colorado. Do I think they can do it? Absolutely. They certainly have enough talent offensively, and there are enough players defensively, even though that is the weaker side of the ball, there are enough players um, on that side of the football to beat 
teams that remain on their schedule. So we'll see what happens. So let me fast forward, if I can, just 24 hours later. Uh, it was late now at night, relatively late at night, and um, I had missed the first half of Colorado State at home taking on Boise State. And understand the history uh, very quickly. Boise State, as I'm sure you're aware, has carried the mantle for the Mountain West Conference for years. In fact, from a football standpoint, typically in the top 25, typically one of those teams in an expanded playoff format would be the number one group of five team, or certainly one of a a couple of the elite group of five teams that can play with the quote-unquote big boys and would be uh, a, a team worthy of a college football playoff in many seasons for the Boise State Broncos. Colorado State, who likes to fancy themselves as a, a school that wants to and, and hopefully should one day be a Power Five school, has never beaten Boise State. And there's a myriad of reasons and and things that were not taken care of that, that should have been, won't delve into that here, but they had never beaten Boise State. Now, Boise State seems a little more vulnerable this year, but they rolled into Fort Collins, and when I picked up the game, it was, I believe, 24-10 Boise State in the second half. And so I kind of lied there in bed and I'm watching it and Boise State goes down and scores and I believe they miss an extra point. So it's 30 to 10 and I'm just kind of shaking my head to myself. Here we go again. Same thing. You know, Colorado State just can't beat Boise State and quite frankly, weren't even really competing with them. They're down by 20 points in the fourth quarter and they get the football back with about six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And I was so frustrated and so angry that I was going to turn it off. But I'm like, you know what? I'm not that tired. I'll hang in there. I'll be a glutton for punishment. And Colorado State goes down and scores. And you know what my thought was? My thought was, okay, cosmetically, it'll look a little better tomorrow morning when people read about it because most people have gone to sleep or quit on it. And then they recover the onside kick. I'm like, okay, still not enough time. They score again. And I'm like, okay, same statement as a moment ago. Cosmetically, it will look like it was a close game tomorrow. 30-24. They onside kick again. They recover. And then the, the officials, with some obscure foul saying that there was a block before the ball went 10 yards, which when you look at the replay, it was very borderline. I don't know how in the hell they called that. Don't get me going again. I'll I'll do this. I'm going to do this four times a a fall, go off on the officials, throwing way too many flags at the collegiate level, at the NFL level. But they, they called that one. So now Colorado State has to move back five yards, onside kick again, and this time Boise State recovers. And Boise State on I think the second play, ran off a long play of like 35, 40 yards that was going to ice the game, but there was a flag on Boise State. Ultimately, as you know, Colorado State gets the ball back at their own 12 with, I think, 22 seconds left. They hit a big play uh, to Troy Horton uh, to set them up at the plus 34, 35-yard line. It's going to be one snap left. There's six, seven seconds left, six, six seconds left after they spiked it. And then you know what happened. They throw the Hail Mary in the end zone, 
for a touchdown. Should be the final play of the game. Shotgun snap. Fowler Nicolosi steps up, throws deep in the end zone. Here's the jump ball. Knocked down. Yes! It's gone! Holker! He was on the ground! Yes, sir! Dallin Holker! The shoestring catch! And we're tied at 30 apiece with no time on the clock! Do you believe it? And then they, the officials kind of, for me, did it again. Really, I mean, it's such a, a, a crazy play. You're going to flag a team, in this case Colorado State, for excessive celebration and unsportsmanlike conduct. So that made the extra point 35 yards as opposed to, you know, a 20-yard routine extra point. Young man, he's not a young man, he's 31 from England. He knocked it through and Colorado State wins 31-30. I, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. And I couldn't really share it with anybody at that point in time because it was after midnight. But the next day I shared it with a couple of people. I said, hey, did you catch this? I'd been at dinner. Uh, we, we'd been over uh, good friends of ours' houses uh, or house the other the earlier in the evening. And my buddy, he didn't even realize it. He'd gone to bed. And so it was a wild win, a great win for Colorado State. Again, first time over Boise State. Now we'll see what, uh, you know, Jay Norvell and uh, his group can do with that. Will that be a springboard uh, the rest of the way uh, to get more consistent? Because, uh, you know, a week earlier they had a 17-point lead at Utah State and, uh, and did not win. So that was clearly very disappointing. Not going to talk much here about uh, the Broncos. But it's amazing how the football gods or karma will get you. Last week, we were talking about how the Jets beat the Broncos and Nathaniel Hackett got his after the comments by Sean Payton in the offseason. One of the criticisms of Sean Payton, or by Sean Payton, I should say, of Nathaniel Hackett was clock management. So last week against Kansas City, Sean Payton lost what down it was late in that first half. Thought it was third down when it was fourth down. And listen, we're human beings. We're all fallible. But when you set yourself up as the guru and when you criticize your predecessor, for the very same things and actions, inactions, or mistakes that you have now made on a couple of occasions and forgetting the down as the head coach, and where are all the other guys in your ear? And then calling a timeout to actually help Patrick Mahomes. Now, granted, I understand, as he said after, Kansas City had a timeout, but and he, he owned it. He owned the mistake, but it's... You know, another paragraph to be written, maybe a couple, in what has been an ugly, ugly first year for Sean Payton. All right, at this point, we're going to talk baseball, a little hockey, and uh, great to have one of my boys back in town during fall break, and uh, get to hear from my middle son, Zach. All right, buddy, the Major League Playoffs uh, are in more than full swing. They've been going on for a while. What's the first thing that jumps out at you as to what you've witnessed? 
teams getting hot at the right time, I guess. Uh, it's it's the Texas Rangers and it's the Philadelphia Phillies. We saw the Phillies do it last year, and the Rangers kind of giving off a little bit of the the 2007 Rockies vibes, uh, I guess. And uh, I, I know that that's a that's a hometown thing for us, but uh, just getting hot at the right time. They haven't lost yet in the postseason. Guys are all hitting and they're pitching, and it's it's been it's been crazy the turnaround that they've had. And uh, some people say they're an underdog. Uh, they have the fourth highest payroll in baseball, uh, but the guys that they're paying have been playing at a very high level outside of obviously DeGrom's been hurt all year. Yeah, the thing that jumps out to me, it's specific to Philadelphia. I knew Philadelphia, I think everybody figured they'd be a tough out, especially how they played the second half. The team coming back from last year, which was outstanding. Um, but as we tape this, I think they've hit 19 home runs in the, or, or 15 home runs in their last four games. That's absurd. But it's emblematic of where the game is today overall. Yeah, if you if you want to score, you got to hit home runs at this point in, in Major League Baseball. There's there's obviously some small ball aspects, but especially in the playoffs when you're facing these good teams, these good pitchers, it's hard to put together a lot of good at bats and have good results over and over and over. Whether that's a single, a double, whatever it is, uh, it's it's a lot easier to run into a baseball and and put numbers up on the scoreboard uh, with one swing of the bat. Trey Turner's turnaround. And I know you follow the sport closely. It's pretty amazing. And I say turnaround because he was a great player. I mean, he he didn't, it wasn't charity to give him a $300 million deal. But he really struggled the first couple of months. Philly fans can be as hard on their athletes as any city out there. And he has not only turned it around, but now they've embraced it. Not just because they turned it around, but I think it goes back to how he did it with the billboard um, that he bought, thanking the Philly fans. And it, it, it took a weight off his uh, off his shoulders. And like you said, one of the hardest in, in any sport, a hard place to play, Philadelphia. But we've seen in the last two years, the fans kind of do that twice. Bryson Stott last year getting booed after he made uh, three errors or whatever it was. And then the next time coming out, and they, they cheered him on. And now Bryson Stotts had a, an excellent couple of years for the Phillies. Obviously, this turnaround from Trey Turner, it's a slow start. It's baseball. It's a hard sport. And even the best players go through through tough slumps. But, you know, he's coming around at the right time. We saw what he did in the World Baseball Classic. He, he rises to those big moments, and he's certainly doing it again here in the playoffs. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been wild to watch. Uh, Arizona's been a great story. And I look at Arizona. I look at Baltimore. I look at even Texas. You go back a bunch of years with Houston when they lost 100 games three years in a row. And if you're a Rockies fan, there's a process to it. But it gives you hope that it doesn't have to be six, seven years uh, of, of drawn-out losing. It's already been you know since 2018 where the Rockies have lost uh, you know more than they've won each year. But it's kind of interesting. The teams have been able to flip it around that quickly. And it... For Rockies fans in that home, you see Jones and Tovar and Doyle. Doyle and Tovar just today, Gold Glove finalist, as we expected. Uh, But yeah, the turnaround for those teams has been fast. But I think one of the main things you have to look at in that is uh, why are the uh, Diamondbacks here today? They've Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, uh, top-end pitching has really been good for them uh, throughout the course of the year. But then they get it done in other areas. Corbin Carroll, people forgot how good Cattell Marte is when he's healthy. Uh, maybe the best second baseman in the league, you could argue, uh, when he is healthy. Um, but they're getting from Moreno, Christian Walker, uh, just a lot of different guys. And it, like you said, for Rockies fans, 
Uh, I think the the main thing is obviously with all the injuries, the Tommy John surgeries to uh, for the top five pitching prospects in the Rockies organization. Uh, those are the guys that you have to pitch. You have to pitch. And as exciting as all these young prospects are for the Rockies, uh, that's the main turnaround that we'll have to see is that they got to be able to pitch. And that's when you look at all the good teams for the Rockies uh, throughout their history. In 07, they had a pitching staff where all five of their starters had an ERA plus over 100. Uh, obviously, we looked at Marquez and Freeland being Cy Young type of guys in 2018. Uh, John Gray was good in 2017. He was a great third starter. Uh, so pitching pitching dominates. We talk about that nonstop in the sport. And that's what the Diamondbacks and the Orioles have been able to produce. Obviously, the Orioles have studs across their entire lineup and are set up for uh, a lot of success for many years to come. You live and go to school and play ball in the Midwest. What do people know of there, of a Nolan Jones, of an Ezekiel Tovar, of a, of a Brenton Doyle? Are they even uh, topics of conversation? <laughs> not not necessarily. Uh, most of the time we're talking about Cardinals baseball there. It's a, uh, one thing about St. Louis, they love their Cardinals. I don't know uh, of any fan base that I've uh, really been around, that really a uh, baseball fan base. Where it, that's all that that city's about. They're, they live and breathe Cardinals baseball. So that's mostly the topics of conversation, especially uh, this year when they had such a down year that there was a lot of uh, topic, uh, talking of that. And there wasn't as many paying attention to the rest of the league because in any sport, there's some fair weathered fans and they're not going to pay attention to the rest of the league when their team's not doing well. So no, there hasn't been a lot of talk of Nolan Jones, maybe with some of my friends that are paying more attention to baseball um, because what he did since getting called up, he was one of the best players in baseball, plain and simple. The stats won't, uh, obviously he missed, he only played a little over 100 games. We so missed uh, a bunch of games at the start of the year being in AAA. Uh, but ever since he came up, he was legitimately one of the best hitters in baseball. And then on top of that, he led the league in, in assists in the outfield, and you could have added on to how many more you would have had. It's not just how strong his arm is, is, but it's literally every time he throws the ball from 200 feet away, it's hitting Elias Diaz right in the chest or in a perfect place to tag. Uh, so Nolan Jones has uh, had a special year, and all the tools are there to have a special career. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's fun to watch him, and when I think about him, he has a different competitive level than most guys. He has a desire to be great. He was on the show the last couple of weeks. We split it up into two parts. Uh, I love his passion. I love his fire, not only to be individually great, but to be part of a winning environment. It's really important to him. I think it's important. Obviously, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to win. I think uh, it's a talking point throughout baseball and uh, something the Rockies are trying to build, winning at the minor league levels um, so that you build a, a winning culture so that when these young guys get called up to the big leagues, yeah, they might be young, whatever it is, but they've been winning for a while. They've been having success for a while, and that hopefully translates uh, onto the field. And obviously, Nolan Jones, <laughs> it, it goes without saying. We, we've said it over and over. It, he's the main piece when you look at the what the Rockies are going to go try to build up in the next few years, over the next you know decade maybe even, you really look at Nolan Jones at this point to to be that guy. We'll see what adjustments make. A, a whole offseason of you know, different teams diving into what his weaknesses might be in pitching, and you know he'll have to make those adjustments too. And it, it's it's just exciting to have because no matter how bad the Rockies have been at times uh, in the course of their history. 
there's always been a guy on their team, at least one type of superstar type of guy. You go back to the 90s, the Blake Street Bombers, Todd Helton was there forever, Ricardo, Tulo, and then Nolan, obviously. Uh, and then now the last couple of years, it's been we had story. And now, I mean, this year was like the first time you'd really look at it. It's like, man, we really don't have a guy like that. And Nolan Jones really uh, erupted into that type of player. And obviously you saw good things out of Doyle and Tobar, things to build on. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I mean, to be fair, to be objective, there there have been times the last couple of years until maybe the emergence of the, of the aforementioned guys that the Rockies weren't good and they were also boring. That even in some of their lean years, and, and we know the history, and there's been, unfortunately, more lean years than, than years where the Rockies were in contention and went to the postseason, but there was a cargo or a cargo and a Tulo or a, a story and a Nolan Arenado. And for that reason, they were, they were interesting. And you always felt like they had a chance. In the last couple of years, you didn't feel that. Now, you know, just peeking ahead to, to next March, and, and pitching is going to be a challenge. We know the sport's about pitching, right? But you go, wait, I want to go watch Nolan Jones play. I want to watch Brenton Doyle continue to play the outfield and watch his development offensively. I want to see Ezekiel Tovar, who was terrific as a, as a rookie. And so not only is there hope, but there are guys that are interesting. Yeah, and they're... Their talents uh, off the at at the level that you need it to be. They have a lot of tools. Uh, Doyle, you might look at maybe his pitch selection, try to clean that up a little bit. The whiff rates are high, but he's got a ton of power for a guy that is as fast as anyone else in baseball. And obviously, he threw a ball 105 miles an hour that is ridiculous to the plate that one time. That the outfield that is setting up in in the Rockies look looks pretty good. So. Uh, like you mentioned, it's fun to watch. I had more fun watching baseball, Rockies baseball, at the end of this year than I've had really in the last two, three years. Because like you said, they're building towards something. And you're looking at the guys who are going to be a part of the next Rockies team. I know you use this term a lot, the solution. What's the solution? What guys are going to be a part of the solution? And it's certainly fun and, and more interesting to watch at the end of the year this year and through the second half of the guys that are going to be that solution. And when that solution is going to come to fruition, uh, probably waiting on a little bit of pitching. Uh, but I can see the Rockies, you know, making steady climbs up the standings over the next few years. Obviously, this was the worst season in, in Rockies history record-wise. Yeah. Let's transition to hockey, a team that is not looking to climb the standings. They're looking to maintain their level in the standings. And probably another year of Stanley Cup or bust the Colorado Avalanche, and as we uh, get together here and, and tape, they're off to a really good start, 3-0. and I want to start with last night's game against the crack and ultimately a 4-1 to uh, victory for the Avs. I hope, I want to fast forward to next spring. There's one team I don't want to see, as good as Vegas always is, there's one team, I, and Edmonton loaded up, obviously, there's one team I don't want to see. I don't want to see Seattle. After taking out the Avalanche last year, their style of play, their depth at forward, and even last night, I don't know, even though the Avalanche, if you just look at the box score, you go, oh, they won 4-1. to one. I don't know if they were the better team the majority of the night. I mean, the first 50 minutes, they probably weren't. There's a couple of mistakes on the power play by the Kraken that allowed that O'Connor goal, and they almost gave up another one to, to Lekkinen. But 
It is funny because the last time I was on this podcast, we were looking at a playoff preview uh, for the Avalanche against the Seattle Kraken, and I was completely wrong. I said this is the best matchup that the Avs could get out of anyone in the Western Conference, and I think a lot of people would have agreed with me at the standing at that point, but they rolled four lines, and when the Avalanche were so top-heavy last year and they weren't getting any secondary scoring at all, uh, it gave them issues. I I thought they were the second-best team in probably six or, or so of the games in that series. Uh, last year, the the Kraken were the better team. Uh, so last night they gave them fits too. It is it, it is interesting. Seattle's o three and one. They haven't had success. They've not scored practically at all uh, against teams. I mean, well, they didn't score much against the Avalanche last night, but that was more of a testament to Alexander Georgiev than anything else. But for some reason, they play the Avalanche really well every time. That it is the depth. So, so what's your early take on, on the number of moves that uh, the GM McFarland made and ultimately Joe Sackick made to address the depth at forward? It's it's remarkable how they they pull it off every time with McFarland and Sackick. Uh, not only are guys signing, it's a testament to the culture as well when you see McCarr and Taze and all these guys signing for under slot value, what they're valued. Uh, but... Bringing in Miles Wood and Ross Colton, uh, guys like that, Thomas Tatar, and giving Jonathan Druin another shot, it completely revamps a, a part of their team that really just wasn't there the last couple of years. They had no depth scoring, and you put last year the 2C, uh, the second-line center. We didn't know who it was going to be. Confer at times was pretty good. No show in the playoffs. Uh, obviously tough to move on from a guy who was part of so many Avalanche teams and part of the Cup team. Uh, but bringing in a Ryan Johansson, uh, huge. Another huge thing that Ryan Johansson does is as good as the Avalanche have been over the last few years, they cannot win a faceoff to save their lives. But Ryan Johansson, 63% so far this year. Last year he's at 59%. Uh, always been good in the, at the draw. Um, and, you know, you can have him on the power play, whatever it is. But it would be so frustrating watching a penalty killer, whatever it is, and they lose every faceoff and then immediately it's chances against. Uh, so I think... Throughout every need that the Avalanche needed, I think Sackick and McFarland really addressed that this offseason. Obviously, we'll see how it turns out. They're 3-0 right now. Lots can happen. But just in terms of depth and more guys you go down the lineup having confidence in, this is certainly a better team than last year. In professional sports, it's hard to stay on top. We like to talk about dynasty. There are very few dynasties. I mean, Houston's being mentioned as such. They've won one world championship, but they've gone uh, to almost an unprecedented seven straight uh, ALCSs. In hockey, Tampa has had a really good run. The Avalanche have elite talent, and it's almost as if, okay, they they won a Stanley Cup last year, disappointing first round exit, and now it's a refocus. We need to get back there. And uh, as hungry as they were two years ago. I'm sure the same hunger existed, but it's easier to slip after just having won the cup. And this year, maybe it's easier to refocus in that same breath. Yeah. And you saw just quotes out of McKinnon and how hard he's, this has been his entire career. He's first on last off the ice at every practice, but 14 shots the other night. I've never heard of something like that. And that kind of shows he's ready. He came out firing and it obviously means something to him. And without Landeskog in the locker room every night, you're looking at McKinnon. McKinnon's a captain that is wearing the C on every single team in the league, other than maybe the Oilers uh, or the Penguins, if Landeskog wasn't already that guy. Uh, so they're going to lean heavy on a guy like that who cares that much. Uh, and it's it's kind of a special thing to have as an Avalanche fan is 
you have a guy that cares that much about the game, uh, cares that much about winning and team success, and he's going out there and putting everything on the line every night, and that's a guy they're going to have to lean on heavily for uh, just <laughs> team morale throughout the course of the year, and they have some more veterans in there too, but you see Miko and now Kale stepping into uh, leadership roles, obviously, and uh, it'll be different, but it, it's certainly an exciting group. You just talked about something that I mentioned earlier, and I've said this many times, and since you grew up um, with me, you know, you've heard this a lot when I've talked to you and your brothers, that there are people that are really talented, and the people that are the best in the world among the elite are the ones that are talented, but have this competitive level that is elite also. And not everyone has it. McKinnon has it. Yeah, and it's, it's this obviously people always bring up the Kobe Bryant mentality, Mamba mentality. But when you look at different guys in, in all these different sports that are having success, great success, not just small amounts of success, you look at the effort they put in, and there's been a lot of talk about how McDavid goes about his stuff. Obviously, McDavid's the best player in the world. Uh, but McKinnon, uh, Nikita Zadarov, when he had that interview, kind of opened up the floodgates to everyone questioning, uh, you know, not questioning, but just being aware of uh, the things that he's doing to be great. But then you look at guys like Tom Brady and, and Nolan Arenado in our sport and uh, Shohei Otani. These guys live and breathe their sport and everything they're doing in their entire lives is to get better at their sport. And so, yeah, not only do you have to have this immense amount of talent, but you have to have this drive and the will to be great. And that's certainly something Nathan McKinnon has. Yeah. I want to play a sound bite. It's, uh, it's our buddy Connor McGahee calling the goal last night by none other than guy who scored 55 goals last year. Spins free, Rantanen, he shoots and scores! The Moose is loose! <laughs> the Moose is loose. Connor McGahee does a fantastic job in, in big calls like that. I listen to his, uh, you know, as, as broadcasters, we... Uh, like to listen to guys who, who do a really good job. And he, I listen to his highlights that they post every night. He does a, a fantastic job. But Mitchell Rantanen, 55 goals last year. He solidified himself as one of the best players in the league. It's, it's crazy. The ass have three of the top 10 probably players in the league. But you really saw how special Miko was last year when McKinnon missed about a month of time. And the Avs didn't barely miss a beat without, you know, top three player in the league because Miko Rantanen can carry that weight even if McKinnon's not on his line. That was a Is he really that good without McKinnon? Is he really just a product of those guys? He was alone out there. There was games McCarr missed while he was out there, too. And he was carrying the Avs to victories. And uh, he's, he's a special, special player. And uh, the the first few years, it was, it was all about his playmaking ability, his his ability to pass, and he's still a great passer. But it was never about his his shot and and being able to put pucks in the back of the net. I mean, he is a fantastic one timer from the right side, uh, and his wrist shot is 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 great as well. And we watched it in the the shootout the other day. He just casually strolls in and picks that top right corner. He didn't even make a move; just an, an easy wrist shot. He. Uh, it, there's it, it's it, it's so much fun to be a a fan of really either of the teams in the Pepsi Center at Ball Arena excuse me uh, right now but the Avalanche are, are really special and it's it's fun to watch a team be that good and you know that they have a shot that you know that they're going to be around at the end of the year um, making a push for the Stanley Cup and one of the big reasons they're going to be around it's so easy to talk about the McCars and McKinnons and uh, and the Mooses uh, of of the world but 
this sport, like baseball, the analogy to pitching and baseball, this, it, with hockey, it's goaltending. And Georgiev, who was terrific last year, is a guy that can steal games with his ability when the puck isn't being put in the back of the net. Georgiev was a guy that when he came up with the Rangers and was getting consistent starts was really successful. And then Edward Shesterkin comes in and he's one of the best three goalies in the league. And, and especially the, uh, the year that he really took off, it's, you know, then you move Georgiev and another great job by Sackick and McFarland to bring in a guy like that, especially after the departure of Kemper, uh, but every single year after uh, Varlamov was a great goalie for a while, then they get Grubauer, and then they get Kemper, and now Georgiev looks like that standstill. But he, I mean, the saves he was making last night were ridiculous. And even when it was 4 1 and the game was over in the past like 20 seconds, he came made a cross crease save with his right pad. Uh, he's He's been great. You have to have a good backstop. And he's certainly elevated to his game where it's hard to argue that he's not one of the best 10 goaltenders in the league. Fun times. It, it, these are great times to be a sports fan. I always say this because you got hockey going, you got hoops going, you got football. Obviously, that's number one these days. And you have and you have the the baseball playoffs. Good time, man. October's the best month. Certainly has to be. Every single night, there's something interesting when it's when it's six o'clock and you're you're done with your work day. You're done with the things you have going on uh, throughout the day. You sit down and there's going to be some type of sporting event that has a, a lot of meaning to it. Whether it's a football game, which obviously every football game is an event, it's fun to watch, uh, something you prepare for. Um, but watching an avalanche hockey game, if you're a Colorado sports fan, uh, big, obviously they're going to be very successful. Watching the Nuggets when they start up later this month, the returning, uh, the defending champs. So uh, that's always fun. And then obviously playoff baseball, the energy, there, there's not much like playoff baseball where you're literally leaning pitch to pitch and it's kind of uh, drawn out and and I thought that the pitch clock might take away from that a little bit, but it's actually kind of, it hasn't made an, uh, an effect really at all on that. The games this postseason have been, uh, the ones that have been close have been fun. There's been kind of a, a decent amount of blowouts and some serious sweeps, but nothing like playoff baseball, and there's really not much like it at, at Citizens Bank Park either. So uh, it's, it's been fun. I, I, just, I like just watching the crowds and seeing stuff like that and watching big players have big moments uh in these big situations, uh, and and Harper gives you that, Castellanos gives you that, and uh, now we're going to see Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and guys like that doing that with, uh, obviously at the time we're recording this, both teams up 2 nothing in their respective series. So uh, it's fun to see star power. It's fun to see fans and cities fully engaged into one team, one common goal. But sports is beautiful. It brings people together. Yeah, it does. And, and uh, to pick up on something you said, I guess if I was going to nitpick anything, uh, the the playoffs on the baseball side have yet to produce the high drama of, of a ninth inning game or or even beyond that an extra inning thing and there there have been a lot of one sided games but listen all it takes is one or two and and then we're talking about that good luck in school good luck in your sixth year of collegiate eligibility you're done after this and uh, you know have fun and um, and then you can hold a mic full time. That's the goal. That's the goal. They're finally kicking me out off the baseball diamond. So six years enough. There you go. Love you, buddy. Love you too. Hey, before we get on out of here today, I want to talk a little bit about the NBA world champion Denver Nuggets and their 
budding rivalry with the Los Angeles Lakers. Don't you love it? I mean, the Lakers always have to be in the news. The Lakers could go 0-82, and, and, and they're still going to be the lead story when people talk about the NBA like 97% of the time, which drives me batty, and it drives, I'm sure, all of you batty. So, you know, they, they had the conversations with Anthony Davis, and somehow he he's miffed about you know, the, the Nuggets and some things that were attributed to the Nuggets as to what was said, and we're going to be ready for them. Well, how about, he, here's here's a revelation. How about y'all being more ready when you were playing the Nuggets last spring, when you got swept by the Nuggets last spring? Maybe that would have been the better order of business. Overall, with the Nuggets opening up against the Lakers, I think it's awesome. It's great. Just adds a little more juice. And if the Nuggets weren't already fired up for their opener, weren't already fired up to take on the Lakers again and AD and LeBron, now they have a little extra incentive. I didn't quite understand that. But there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are said each and every week, before game, after game, that I don't always fully comprehend as to why. That will do it for this edition. Enjoy uh, football this week. Enjoy the Major League playoffs. Enjoy the Avalanche. Enjoy the Nuggets. What a wonderful time of year. Talk to you in seven days. Stay safe. Stay well. Stay well.